How about we go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Now, as we set the stage for this, we have looked at Jesus in the first four chapters of Matthew. In the first four chapters of Matthew, Matthew is establishing Jesus is the king. And it starts out, the gospel of Matthew starts out with a genealogy. And it's a genealogy that shows us that Jesus comes from a royal line. So if you were a king in their day, you had to have a family line that was kingly. Jesus comes from the line of David and he is a king. So Matthew starts in chapter one with that. And two, three, and four, it talks about the person of Jesus and that he is a king. Where we've been for the last eight months has been chapters five, six, and seven. One sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, Jesus is establishing his principles. What are the principles of a king? If the first four chapters were who the king is, the next three chapters were all about what his principles are. What are the principles of his kingdom? What does he stand for? What is important to this king? That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so now we're in a new season or chapter here and we're in chapter eight and now we're going to establish, okay, he's, he's this person because he's got a kingly line. He, he tells us how he wants his kingdom run. But the question is, words can be cheap. Does he have the power to pull off what he says? And here's what's great. In the next two chapters, chapter eight and chapter nine of Matthew, we're going to see the power of the king. Jesus is going to do miraculous things to establish that not only does he have the words to say things, but he has the power to back it up. And it's an exciting section of scripture that we're going to be in. So after sharing this great message, everybody's amazed. They are blown away. Let's pray and then we'll get into Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Father, we thank you for drawing us here today. I thank you for the folks here at the second service and we pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. As Abby was praying that we would hear your voice. And as we were singing, Jesus, you're going to keep coming after us because you love us so much. You're in pursuit. We thank you that you do it because of your great love. And I pray that we would recognize your love for each of us individually. I pray if we've come with heaviness or uncertainty, that we would be able to lay them at your feet so that we might be able to hear you. That we might be able to hear your reassuring words and that we might know your heart better at the end of this message. Holy Spirit, please, by your power, speak through me to accomplish the work of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. He's just finished giving the greatest sermon. It's just amazing. And in that sermon, if you weren't here... He didn't just speak about God. He didn't just speak for God. Here's what Jesus did that no one else before him has done. He spoke as God. He said things that make the people go, hold on a second. He said in the Old Testament, you have heard it said, but I say to you, wait, who is he to give something that is superseding or is uh, expanding on the Old Testament? Who would have that power? God. Wait a second, he's one that said that in those last days, he was kind of looking at the very last day, there's going to be a judgment. And he said, in that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Do you realize what he just said? There's going to be many people that will come to me and say, Master, Master, God, God, Lord, Lord. Jesus wasn't, you know, there's some people that are like, well, Jesus never said he was God. I don't think they've read the Bible. 
Because the people who heard the sermon clearly understood what Jesus was saying. And they were amazed. So now after hearing an amazing sermon, they're not done because they're going, this is, is this God in the flesh? Where's he going? Everybody follows him. And it says on a mountain, it's on a hillside near a town called Capernaum. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. It is a beautiful location. And I remember being there and looking out and going, what a great place to hear a message. And then now Jesus is done with the message. He starts to walk towards the city of Capernaum. What's the crowd going to do? Well, see you, Jesus. No way. They're all coming and following Jesus. And now the word is spreading fast. I'm sure some people ran ahead of him and were like, hey, he's coming this way. And people are just starting to swarm him. And one particular person comes towards Jesus. Verse two. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. An interesting character has come into this story, an unlikely character. After hearing this amazing message, it doesn't appear that this person was there at the message and comes and meets with Jesus. Now, I want to um, take you back to a time and a trip that our, our family took, and we uh, had the blessing to go to India. And my mom, you know, she was looking at kind of the, the um, windows of opportunity that we have in life. And she wanted to take the grandkids to go see India to see where she was born, where she was raised. And to do that, she's like, well, I want to you know, get plane tickets and take all, the whole family over there. But the kids were really young and we wanted them to remember the trip and be ready for a trip. And it wasn't going to be a short trip. It was going to be a couple of weeks there in India. But then there was another window of opportunity that was closing and it's my mom's age. And as she gets older, her health and to be able to travel to the opposite side of the world and all of that is going to become a little bit harder and harder as the years go on. And so we were seeing her window closing as the kids were getting older and we were trying to find the sweet spot. And it happened two years ago. In May of 2016, we had a chance, Dawn, myself, my mom, four kids went to India and we found ourselves in a city called Agra. And when we were there, there's a picture of a very famous building, Taj Mahal. And so, you know, they were under doing some reconstruction of the Taj Mahal and a very warm, hot day uh, at the Taj Mahal, very humid. And uh, while we were there too, you know, lots of photos were taken. I think we have one. Uh, yeah, Don was taking a picture of my mom and I. You can see where I get my height from. My mom, just those jeans really passed on. I'm standing on a box that's like eight inches. No, no, I'm not. I'm, that's my mom. That's my mom. And so uh, for my mom, it was a dream come true to have her grandkids and her son and her daughter-in-law and to be able to do this trip was a, was a big deal for her. And so you see this amazing thing. And now the Taj Mahal, it's a mausoleum. It's a very nice mausoleum, but at the end of the day, it is a mausoleum. And so you're like, okay, it's a mausoleum. And while that is amazing and stunning building, architecture, symmetrical gardens, all that stuff, Something caught my eye. See, there's a 10-minute walk from where the buses park to the Taj Mahal. So you go down this place, and there's a lot of people trying to get you to buy stuff and things like that. And as I was walking, I noticed this sign, and it caught my eye. And here's the sign. Kushta Ashram, leprosy colony. It was almost like something strikes you, like a word from an, a, a time long past suddenly enters and I thought for a second, what? Enough that I pull my phone out and take a picture. And I thought, and it says established in 1948. And I'm like, okay, this is great. It's like a, a museum, although that'd be kind of an odd museum, like a leprosy museum that does exist though. There's one even in the United States, but that's, be, that's besides the point. Uh, I thought, okay, this is a historical place, right? You kind of go and you can see 
about a disease from the long past. Like it'd be like polio or something else like that. No, that's an active leprosy colony. Less than a 10 minute walk away from the Taj Mahal. And you know, it, it, it starts to bring things where it's like, oh, leprosy, that's an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing, but it's definitely a 2,000 years ago thing. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that we deal with here in this day and age. But um, it is something that we deal with here in this day and age. Before we talk about leprosy itself, I want to talk about people who have been ministering to lepers. In the late 1800s, there was a couple, um, they were the Wellesleys, uh, uh, sorry, Wellesley and, and um, Alice Bailey, the Baileys. And here's a picture of them. This is the late 1800s. And they're Christians and they were moved by God as they were visiting these other cultures. They went to New Zealand and a place called New Caledonia at the time. And they were seeing people that were suffering from the effects of leprosy. And it's a... Um, it's a... Um, it ravages a person. It has the potential to ravage a person. And they were so moved by this, they found themselves in India and they founded a ministry called Mission to Lepers. And I want to give you a, uh, an observation that they made, and it's here on the screen. I'll read it. It's a print's a little bit small, but here it is. The asylum consisted of three rows of huts under some trees. In front of one row, the inmates had assembled for worship. Inmates, inmates meaning they were in this colony, they couldn't leave. They were in all stages of the malady, very terrible to look upon with a sad, woebegone expression on their faces, a look of utter helplessness. I almost shuddered, yet I was at the time fascinated, and I felt if there ever was a Christ-like work in this world, it was to go among these poor sufferers and bring them the consolation of the gospel. To people that are suffering with this physical ailment who have lost hope and who are told they cannot leave that's why they're called inmates at least in this description here to go you know what they can't leave what better way to show christ-like love than we go in there and we share the gospel with them and try to comfort them any way we can and so medically they try to ease their suffering and began to give them a hope that was beyond this short life now they were committed in so much so that when they were in India, they came up with uh, some mapping, cartography of, the, the, of um, leprosy as it was going through India. And I think we have some maps of India that they had put together this uh, mission to lepers. And the first one uh, kind of shows the, how many lepers there were in India during this time, the late 1800s. And the darker areas are more intense and the lighter areas are less intense. And you see some up there near Nepal that were very, very intense. And they were mapping these out. They sent people throughout India. And then on the, the map on the right side, it shows the changes within a decade or two uh, in, a, in a positive or negative direction. And red is it got worse and blue is it got better. And so there were advancements in the uh, diagnosis and treatment, if you will, of leprosy. So what else is going on with leprosy? Like this is, okay, so it's India. Okay, great. So it's just kind of isolated to India. No, no, Ethiopia. Molokai, Molokai, you mean like Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, leper colony on that island. Um, that's like, well, wow, these are all places that are outside the, you know, contiguous United States. So that's, you know, that's like the other different parts of the world, right? Uh, how about Carville, Louisiana? The United States, leprosy exists in the United States too. 
to this day, by the way. There was a place in Carville, Louisiana, a small town in Louisiana, where lepers in the United States were told they must go, a facility. And at its height in the 1950s, 500 lepers were in this town in Louisiana. Now, this idea of like, could they leave? No. In fact, they were told when they went to this facility, um, you're going to be here, plan to be here the rest of your life, and you should probably cut all ties with people outside of this place because you're never going to see them again. That's the United States, by the way. Imagine what it's like in other parts of the world. And so, wait a second, are these people still there? No, no, it changed. Oh, good, good, because we live in a modern age. It changed in 1999. It's less than 20 years ago. Less than 20 years ago is when the United States government said, listen, you can, you can, you can leave this facility. You don't have to stay in this one facility in Carville, Louisiana. And, you know, more than a few people decided to stay because it's the only home that they've ever really known. And they had cut all their ties to the outside world. See, leprosy is a, it's something that affects more than just, oh, it's the third world or it's just other places. I want to show you a world map here if we have it. I think we might. Yeah, there we go. This is the number of cases of leprosy detected in 2016, two years ago. Uh, new cases. So if you see the United States is a dark blue, that means new cases of leprosy. Between 100 and 1,000 cases, new cases of leprosy in 2016. Then you look at other countries, you see India in the dark red, over 10,000 new cases of leprosy in 2016. South America, you can see different parts of our world. So leprosy, let's not say that leprosy is this thing of the Bible and it's stuck in the past, but we have modern medicine and we have overcome all of it. No, it still affects people. But I want to say this, that it affected people in a way differently in Jesus' time because unlike today, there, is no, there was no cure for it then. Now, is there a cure for leprosy? Yes. Um, in the last 20 years, 16 million people have been cured of leprosy. It involves antibiotics, multiple antibiotics over a two-year time span. And if you take it over the two-year time span, you can be free of it. But any damage that's done physically, those are, it's unlikely that they, they would be reversed. So it's really catching it early and being able to uh, treat it. But in Jesus' day and age, there was no cure. Sometimes the symptoms of leprosy, it could take up to 20 years for the symptoms to show up. How is it transmitted? Um, uh, As they say, I'm going to read the quote here, transmitted via droplets from the nose or the mouth, coughing, sneezing, things like that. I could get leprosy? Yeah, you could get leprosy. Yes, it's a reality. The interesting thing, and here's something that I just, you know, odd fact, I'm just going to mention it. Armadillos carry leprosy too because their body temperature is ideal for growing that specific bacteria. I think we have a picture of, of uh, the culprit here too, not the armadillo, the leprosy. Um, uh, Mycobacterium la- uh, lapre. Mycobacterium lapre. It's a false color image, but it gives you an idea of what the leprosy bacterium looks like. And because of that, as it lives in a person and it begins to spread out, it has these consequences. What are the consequences of leprosy? Well, the consequences are it begins to attack the nerves of the human body. And so it's, it can attack, um, well, it can attack a lot of things. It can attack your skin. So some of the easy outward things, you start to develop these huge growths on your face to the point where it can grow and like your vision is obscured. As these growths come, it can also start to eat away at the cartilage. Cartilage? Yeah, like your ears and your nose. And so you have people whose, like their septum, you can see all the way in, their nose is gone. And they almost look like walking skeletons. 
Their ears are gone. Their nose is gone. Eyebrows are gone. Their eyes are clouded over. You can lose your hair. The thing with the nerves, um, well, even before the nerves, if I would say this, you could, it could attack your vocal cords and then all of a sudden you've got this gravelly voice. And I think where we can get some of the stereotypes of, you know, that you may see in horror movies, like a, a character out of the grave has got the gravelly voice and like kind of walking and all of that. I wonder how many of those images came from actual lepers that people were going, that person is like the, the plague walking. They're like the walking dead. They are, how are they alive? And the other thing that would start to happen, remember those nerves? Your nerves, uh, you start to lose the feeling. And so you, you can't feel where you're walking. Balance is a little bit difficult. You can fall a lot more often. You can step on something sharp and not even know it. So now you have an open wound that's getting infected, but you can't feel it. Sometimes it's that idea of like, you know, what kind of superpower would I have? And maybe a child would go, I'd like the superpower where I don't feel any pain. That is not a superpower. It's leprosy. A leper could, oh, okay, I'm going to go grab that. They go to grab something and it's scalding hot. And, and they don't even realize that it's burning them until maybe they smell it or somebody else smells their skin burning. They don't feel it. They can't feel pain. The other thing, you know, and since they can't feel pain, maybe they'll use more strength. They'll grab a doorknob or grab something that's stuck and torque it even more than they normally would and they end up tearing their skin or breaking their bones and they can't feel it. I think that makes me respect pain a little bit more because feeling pain is a good thing. Why? Because that's a warning. You don't want your life to not have pain because you'll still be afflicted. You just won't know it. That's not a good thing. And so somebody with leprosy could hurt themselves and not even know that they're hurting themselves. Okay, Jim, very graphic. Really appreciate you starting this out. Lunch is coming up in like a half hour and you're talking about leprosy. Why are we making such a big deal? You've barely read... I see why it takes years to get through the Gospel of Matthew. You've only read two verses. Why are you making such a big deal? This is like a small skin thing. It's like uh, eczema or like alopecia or some like skin rash, like poison ivy or something, right? It's not a big deal. No, leprosy was a death sentence in Jesus' day and age. Because, well, let's look at this con- the condition of this man. Jim, we read a verse. We already saw this guy. It said he had leprosy. Let's look at another account of the same story. This was written uh, in Luke's account of the of Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 12. Luke 5, 12. Same story. Luke's recording of it. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. It, it wasn't just in the early stages. He was like full-blown late stage. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. All right, full of leprosy. So this guy decided to add a little bit more of a, a, a notation on that. Why do we care? I mean, it's just one other guy's opinion. Do you remember Luke's vocation? Doctor. Dr. Luke, as he records this same event, says this man was full of leprosy. I'm going to take Dr. Luke's assessment and diagnosis of this man. He was in late stage leprosy. The man, and, for, and for a doctor to go, ooh, full of leprosy, I, I think it was a severe case. It takes a lot to shock a doctor, right? So this man is in desperate need, and he ends up coming to Jesus as Jesus was coming off that hillside. 
And if the physical suffering wasn't enough that you go through with leprosy, which, by the way, now is known, it doesn't go by the name leprosy, it goes by the name Hansen's disease. That's the name that it goes by. It's the modern name for leprosy. If somebody's suffering from that in their day and age, the physical suffering wasn't bad enough, you were isolated from society. In the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament, it says this, Leviticus 13, uh, 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. These people were outside society. The minimum distance that a a leper could be to somebody who didn't have leprosy. Minimum distance was just over six feet. That's minimum, but that's rare. That's not going to happen very often. Under six feet. But if the wind was blowing at the back of the person with leprosy and other people were downwind, they had to stay 150 feet away from those people. That's half a football field if the wind is blowing. Can you imagine how isolating of a life it is when you have Leprosy in this day and age. What a lonely life. The only people that he could interact with were other lepers. So this man's an outcast, we said. It's like the plague, the walking dead. And he was condemned because there was no cure. Like a zombie, maybe he wished he was better off dead, especially full of leprosy in the late stages. I didn't... There was definitely a choice. It's not hard. If, if As I'm talking about this, you're going, leprosy, for real? You can look online and see modern cases of leprosy. I didn't think that would be necessary to show you this morning. I figured just the words that I'm saying. For anybody that's interested to look into it more, you can. And I, w- I would encourage you, if you have the stomach to look at it, to look at it and go, this is the kind of person that Jesus was interacting with. Because it, it, I think it adds so much light to the verses we're reading this morning. This man, he would show up, he'd have to call himself out. He'd have to declare, unclean, unclean. He would see people run away from him all the time. The priest couldn't help him, the doctor couldn't heal him. But you know, he heard this story, I'm sure, about a man. I think that, you know, you ask yourself, how did he know to go to Jesus, right? Well, Jesus, the word of Jesus is spreading now. And I wonder if this leper hadn't heard this story about a man who's being baptized by John the baptizer in the wilderness And when this man was being baptized, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And all of a sudden the story started to spread. The voice of God spoke about this man who was getting baptized. I wonder if all of a sudden a little spark of hope didn't come into this leper's heart where he heard a story about this guy. And then as Jesus is continuing to minister, hey, 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 that guy, Jesus, that guy, Jesus, what? What did you say? What did you say? What's happening? And he hears people rushing in a direction And he starts to move in the direction where Jesus is. This man had great boldness because he was fighting against the stigma of the age. And he was fighting against all of the rejection of the people of that age because he said, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me, I have to go see Jesus. Verse number two again. And behold, a leper came to him, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I want to show you a cartoon image because, you know, when you teach kids, you know, kind of a lesson like this, you, you know, you, you have images like this. And, and I, I have no issues actually with this image. I think that's great, you know. Uh, there's another one with like a woodcut illustration here and uh, from a time a little earlier. And 
uh, you know, Jesus has the, the glow around his head there and they have the leper here and you can see like there's some, looks like some spots there on his hands and his legs. His nose seems darkened but intact. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's, that would be an accurate description of a man full of leprosy. And so we go back to the cartoon one and I really like the cartoon one. Well, Jim, you can't even see the leper and what his ailments were. No, no, the posture of the leper is what I want you to note. See, the word in verse 2 there, it said the leper came to him and knelt before him. Proskoneo is the Greek word that's there. The leper proskoneoed in front of Jesus. Proskoneo, what does that mean? To fall down at the feet of or to kiss the feet of. It's this idea that the leper just put himself down on the ground. Because, why would he do that? Because he's a leper? No, no, a leper wouldn't do that to other people. Why would a leper do this to Jesus? Because he knew who he was addressing. The leper got it right. How many times do I, how many times do you, do we come before Jesus forgetting that he is king, master, and Lord? And we can come to him with an attitude, maybe arrogance. Hey, so I'm Jesus, I don't know what you're doing, but I just... Do you know who you're talking to? The leper knew who he was talking to and the leper put his face to the ground. This is not the first time we've seen a person respond to Jesus or um, acknowledge Jesus' lordship. In fact, in this Gospel of Matthew, oh, about, you know, 10 months, a year ago or so, we read a passage of Scripture and I want to take you back to that where a few men prosconeoed before Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Maybe you know this story when we start reading it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and proskoneoed him, worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The wise men from Persia, the kingmakers, the ones who were the pinnacle of their society in sciences and math, these were sharp people, and it's such a beautiful image of science and math proskoneoing before Jesus, before the one who's the origin of all things. And these wise men came and they, faced to the ground, worshipped. I think that, that for that leper, very similar posture. And I think it's because both the folks in this story, as well as in the one we read in Matthew chapter 8, understood who they were addressing. You know, this, uh, this leprous man, how is he going to know, though, that Jesus really can help him? And how can he have any confidence? Because the Old Testament, the prophets would write about a Messiah coming, and this Messiah would have certain signs that would come with him that would confirm that he, in fact, was the Messiah. In Isaiah, he talks about a day that the Messiah will come, and things will happen in that day. Isaiah twenty nine eighteen. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Okay, so when the Messiah comes, there's going to be some miraculous healings that will happen in that day, like haven't happened before. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The coming of the Messiah is going to have certain signs with them. And I wonder if this leper thought, you know what? A Jewish man listening, going, I know the story. I know the prophecy of Isaiah. 
And you're saying that there's a man who is healing people, who things are happening, who has the power to do these things? I want to meet this man. You know, um, even later on in the Gospel of Matthew, I won't read this verse right now. We'll get there, but it's Matthew chapter 11. There are some followers of John the Baptist who come to Jesus and they say, you know, hey, are you the Messiah or should we wait for somebody else? And Jesus then paraphrases the prophet Isaiah, the verses that we just read. And Jesus says things, go tell John what you see and hear. The blind will receive their sight, the lame will walk, the lepers are cleansed. These are all signs that he is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, these are my credentials. If you want to know if I'm really God in the flesh, just look at what was said about me before I showed up and look at what I'm doing. You look at me with your eyes and you tell me if I am the Messiah or not. And this leper humbly approaches Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, I know you can heal me. Isn't it amazing that this leper had the knowledge that Jesus could heal him? He never doubted that Jesus could heal him. Never once doubted that Jesus could heal him. His only thing was, as he's face, face down in the ground, Jesus, if you want to, I know I could be healed. But if you desire that I don't be healed, I understand that I won't be healed. But it all comes down to whether you desire me to be healed in this capacity or not. I know you have the power. That's never been a question. Wow. What faith this leper has as he approaches Jesus. I wonder when we approach Jesus, you know, for a healing in our life, in some area, a relationship, a situation, our health or something like that, I think we, all of us, myself included, can learn a lesson from this leper that we approach Jesus and realize he is king and we just go, God, I understand. Jesus, I know that you can heal me. I just don't know whether it is your desire that I be healed in this way. But I'm going to put my request in. If you want to, you can do it. And you know, sometimes I've asked for God to do certain things in my life and my prayer wasn't the right prayer. I thought that if this thing was fixed, then everything else would be fixed and God knew much better. So he's like, Jim, that, I'm not going to answer that specific prayer you're doing. I'm going, to ask, I'm going to answer a prayer you don't even realize that you want to be praying. For some, it's maybe a prayer for a relationship. And God, please, I just pray that you know, I would marry this person. And God's like, you don't even know what you're praying for. A couple of decades from now, you will run into that person at a reunion and you will go, God, thank you that I did not marry that person. But at the time, we're like, why won't God do what I want? It's because we, with limited focus and scope, we can't see the whole picture. So there's times where God will just, it's better to us to go to God and go, God, whatever your will is, is what I want. I think this is what would be best for me, but honestly, God, I don't really know. So how about you pick, God? And I know you're able to do it. This leper, though, was bold enough to go, hey, God, if you would clean me, if that's your will, then I know that I could be clean. So look what Jesus does here. Jesus stretched, verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, meaning I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I think at that moment, when this leper's coming, I think, first of all, the crowd was like, whoa! Because we don't hear anywhere here where he said, unclean, unclean. He just kind of shows up. The leper just kind of approaches. And Jesus didn't back away. But I think an interesting scene happened. Jesus in a crowd, leper, crowd, (laughs) Jesus. And so the crowd is just kind of like, what is he doing? That's way within six feet. 
And then the leper says some things, and then Jesus says something, and then Jesus closes the distance between him and the leper, and the crowd just goes, <gasps> and Jesus touches him. He's unclean. You, he, you, he, I, and there was a crowd gathered that was following him, so they all got a front row seat to see God in action. How does God treat people? How does God interact with people? He moves and he closes the gap between. <laughs> you know, uh, the bulletin picture, the screen, all that stuff, it's an interesting one. You know, it's, hey, we're going to teach on leprosy. Let me find some good leprosy pictures so that you can stare at it for 45 minutes uh, or look at it in your bulletin, right? I mean, you know, let's use a little bit of tact here, okay? And so, uh, you know, it's thinking like this concept of what, what would be... Jesus was moved by what this man was going through. Jesus cares. So we read that Luke wrote a parallel passage. You know, he wrote an account of it and it said that this man was full of leprosy. Mark also wrote about this same incident and he wrote in Mark 1.41. Look at this right here. Mark 1.41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I don't want us to look at the English language and go, oh, moved with pity, like, I'm so sorry. It's really too bad that you have leprosy. No, the word there is he was moved in his bowels, in the depth of who he is, in the, in the deepest place of, and that's a mind-blowing thought, the deepest place of where Jesus was, he was moved for this man. And he was moved in the depth of who he was, and then his body was moved towards him. And his hand was reaching out to him, and he touched him. As we look at that cover screen, I was thinking about this idea. What was it like for that man who had probably never been touched by someone without leprosy for years and years and years? Can we go back to that cover screen one more time? You know, and you, as you look at a, a dad holding what looks like a child... I, as I was studying, like this image was kind of on a window off to the side there. I kind of kept looking at it and I just moved to tears because this is, what, this is how Jesus felt about that leper. It was this idea of, I know how you, I know what you're going through and I know that nobody's ever touched you in a long time and I'm going to come here and I'm going to, I wonder what it was like for this leper. I wonder if his vision was failing him and he was just, he kind of couldn't even see him clearly because his eyes were already being affected and all of a sudden he feels something that he hasn't felt in decades. And I wonder, as Jesus is saying all these things, he touches him and he says, I am willing. Hey, be clean. And it wasn't just like, a, I know, you know, sometimes you see like movies or things where it's like, oh, ding. Like Jesus barely touches him with the tip of his finger. I think Jesus was much more hands-on than that. I think Jesus looks at this man who is ugly and disgusting from the world's view because of the external. And Jesus is not at all put off by the outside. Not at all put off by the outside. Jesus closes the gap and reaches out and touches him in all of the ugliness. And I don't think he stopped there. I think he's like, hey, you know, like that kind of hug where you get hugged and then all of a sudden you're like, my, my feet are, where? like, you know, somebody gives you a real, like, gives you a hug. I wonder if for this man, Jesus just like, just held him. And the crowd's just going, what is he doing? You don't do that. And for Jesus to just go, I love him. Why would I not hold him? Why would I not? 
you know, if you're a parent, you know, there's a whole level of emotion that suddenly kicks in after you're a parent, I think. At least for me, it did. I know for my wife, it did. But think about this. If you're a parent, for when your, your child is suffering and in pain, and you're just going, and you can't do anything about it, and then you as a parent say, if I could take your pain, little one, I would take your pain. You know what Jesus said? Let me take your pain. Come here. Come, come here. No, no, it's a little longer. It's okay. And then, as he's got him close, hey, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. And for, I think for that leper, just to be held, to be touched and embraced by Jesus was enough, right? Bonus. Hey, is my hearing better? Like, what is... Is that healed healed not quietly in some secret back room with no witnesses with everybody watching it's so amazing that you have three gospel writers that are writing about this miracle jesus approaches a clearly leprous man embraces him and he is miraculously healed and then jesus says something very very Interesting. Verse 4, Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. It's a very interesting thing. Hey, don't tell anybody. Like, wait, they're, they're all watching you. I want you to go to the priest and tell him that you've been healed and do what Moses commands when it comes to leprosy. Okay, well, what, is that, what does that all mean? Jesus wanted him to go to the priest and go, hey, by the way, priest, and I'm sure the priest, if he even had seen the leper before, would have been like, yeah, can I help you? Hi, I had leprosy, first thing. Second, <laughs> I don't anymore, I'm healed. And I was told by the guy who, healed, who, who did the healing, he told me to come see you to see if I truly am healed of leprosy. I'm sure at that moment, it's kind of like, you know, you're at a job and there's like a procedure or something comes up and you're like, we don't normally do that. Let me go look at the manual. I think at that point, the priest is like, you had leprosy and you have been healed? Hold on while I check the scrolls real quick. And he would have gone to Leviticus chapter 14. Some of you, as you read through the Bible, you're like, Leviticus. And then you're on Leviticus 14 and you're like, a whole chapter about leprosy? Really? How to treat leprosy? Really? because it was a huge deal in their day and age. And what Jesus is telling this man, the former leper, go to the priest and have him check you out. And I know that when he does do that, he's going to look at the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible that Jesus used, and he's going to find something that prophesies about me. What do you mean, Jim? Let me tell you about Leviticus 14 real quick. Here's the paraphrase. What are you supposed to do? If somebody had leprosy and they came to the priest, what would they do? Well, they would have to come and they'd have to come with two birds, two doves. And one of those would be killed. One of those birds would be killed and the blood would be poured out. And then that blood would be sprinkled on the person with leprosy. That really stinks for that bird. What about the other bird? The other bird gets set free. One dies and the blood is sprinkled on the person who's ailing and the other one goes free. I wonder what we're talking about as we read about that. See, the idea that, well, where's Jesus in the Bible? He's all over the Bible. 
Jesus is talked about all over the Bible. Jesus told this man, go have the priest look up that verse in Leviticus. And by the way, when he opens the scroll, he's going to stop and go, you've been healed? If you've been healed, then who died? The question is, who is going to die soon? Jesus. Jesus absorbed, when he touched that man, wait a second, it's like you're becoming unclean. Why would you, wait, it's almost like there was a transference. When Jesus was there and approaches a man and touches him, it's almost like the leprosy, the ugliness, the sin transferred away from that man and he was clean and he was free and Jesus was made sin. Yeah. Jesus loves people who are in sin. And Jesus wants to approach them. The only thing that can stop Jesus approaching someone in sin and embracing them is if they say, no, stay away from me. If in their leprous condition, spiritually leprous, spiritually desensitized, here's a couple of things about leprosy and why it ties in with talking about sin so well. Leprosy disfigures you. Sin disfigures you. Leprosy handicaps you. Sin handicaps you. Leprosy desensitizes you where you don't feel Sin desensitizes you to the things of the Lord. Leprosy is, it was incurable in people in their day and age. Sin is incurable without Jesus in our day and age. I don't care what doctor you go to, none of them are going to prescribe any medication for you, any pill, any injection that's going to cure the sin problem that we have. Only Jesus. You know, in the Bible, there's three uh, different uh, um, people that... God gave leprosy too. Oh, that's really messed up. Why would God give them leprosy? Here's why. God wanted the outward appearance to match their heart. Oh. Meaning their heart was full of sin. And God said, you know what? How about we make things match so that you're not living, you're not giving people the false oppression here. Let's, get, let's, let's make the outside match the inside. The first one was Moses' sister, Moses' sister rebelled against God by rebelling against the authority that God had given Moses. And God made Miriam, Moses' sister, white as snow with leprosy. Gehazi, another guy, Old Testament, servant of Elijah, he was greedy in his heart, all about himself. And God said, let's make the outside match your inside. And then there was another one, King Uzziah. He was a king, but he said, you know what? I can be more than a king. I can go into the temple if I want to. I don't have to be a priest or anything. I'm going to go in and perform some priestly duties because I am pretty awesome. God said, we're going to make the outside match your prideful inside. Very, very clear here. Just because you have leprosy doesn't mean that's because God is addressing some sin issue in, within your heart. We live in a fallen world where leprosy happens. But on those three specific examples, God gave it to them as the outside to match the inside. So here we are with this story. We see a man that's healed. We see a man that's been told to go to the priest. And we see a crowd of onlookers that are just going, that was the most amazing sermon we ever heard. And that is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. Jesus is going, do you believe that I am God? Do you believe that I am the savior of the world? And Jesus is not done. In the next two chapters, he's going to do miracle after miracle after miracle, proving that he is the king of kings. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. But when you think about that transference, can you think about your story? If you're a Christian, do you remember that moment where you asked Christ into your heart and Jesus said, come here. And it wasn't like, hey, come here. Let me just uh, touch you just a little bit. Jesus said, come here. Come, come here. Oh, I got you. Come here. And it's like, God, I'm ugly. God, I've got so, God, I'm just so horrible. God, I'm, he's like, 
I love you. I love you. And in that moment to realize, wait, I'm clean before God? Yeah, you're, but how did I get clean? And we look at Jesus, and Jesus has taken all of our sin and all of our shame. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, to be that dove that dies, so that we could be made right, set free, with God through Christ. It's the same message, Old Testament and New Testament. There's no two different stories. It's the same story of a God who loves people. And so as our worship team comes up here this morning, I want you to consider this. Okay, you heard a message about leprosy. Somebody asked you later, what did you learn at church? Leprosy. No, (laughs) don't say that. You learned about the heart of Jesus towards people who are full of sin. How do you apply this message to your life? Here's the thing. You apply it by approaching people in this world who are struggling in sin. You don't avoid them. You don't go, oh man, you're pretty ugly with your sin. I think I'm going to back away. Be like your Savior Jesus who walked towards. Have compassion towards people. And here's why you should have compassion. Please listen to this very carefully. You should have compassion for people who have that spiritual leprosy, the sin that's just consuming them, ruining their lives, their marriages, their children. You should have hearts for them. Here's why. Because you and I were one of those lepers. You know what the church should be? The church should be a leper colony. A leper colony, yeah, of people who've been healed. But who decided to stay to tell others who come, hey, by the way, did you know how you could be healed? Let me tell you the guy who can heal you. His name is Jesus. You should love people who are in sin because you remember that you were one of those people. Let's pray, church. Father, as we look at a few short verses here in this account from Matthew... We pray that the impact of it would stay with us, that we would recognize that we, if we call ourselves your children, if we have been saved by you, Jesus, then we were that leper. And that we came to you and asked you if you would, and you said, I am willing. I am delighted to save you. I, with joy before me, will go to the cross and I will take the shame that you deserve. I will take the pain that you deserve and I will die for you because I am willing. Jesus, thank you. We acknowledge that we are imperfect. We acknowledge that we can look over at a path that we were on and and start to wonder, oh, maybe I can still do that. God, remind us of all that we have been healed of and that we would walk in the light of your way. We pray that we would also take as many people on the path that leads to you, that we would point them in your direction. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.